0: Hi everyone, my name is Alex DeRosa. I'm our family pastor here at New Life, and I'm really excited to be with you today to share what God has put on my heart. We are in part two of a series called, I Believe in God, But. Pastor Chris started us off last week by talking about, I believe in God, but I don't know Him He was talking about this idea that sometimes we get in the habit of just knowing about God, but not really knowing who God is. And there is a difference there. It's kind of like with my wife. I knew of Rachel Martin before she became Rachel DeRosa. I knew that she had a beautiful voice, and, and that she was gorgeous, and that she was great with kids, and she was funny but I didn't really know her yet. And now 10 years later and that we've been married for a while, I know what her, her passions and her fears are. I know that making the bed makes her more happy than just giving her a compliment. I know Rachel DeRosa well. And so with God, it's similar. We can know about him, but until we really know him and are in a relationship with him, we won't fully give our lives over to God. We won't really be living the life that God has destined for us. Pastor Chris gave us a question to ask ourselves regarding this idea of do we know God or do we just know about God? He said this, if we want to know whether we believe in God and know God, the test is simple. Have we started changing on the inside so it becomes evident on the outside? I love that. It's practical, it's good, and it makes me think, okay, does my life reflect Jesus? Because if I know him, it's going to. If I'm in a relationship with Jesus, it's going to show up in my life. And so we're going to continue this series and we're going to take it a step farther. So if we believe in God, then we'll know him. And if we know God, then the next step is that we will fear him. As I've been praying and reading through the series, something has been abundantly clear, and it's this. If we don't fear God, we don't know God. It might sound harsh, and I want you to follow me on this during this message, but I truly believe once we get to know the character of God, once we understand his magnitude and his power, when we know God, we'll really fear God. Unfortunately, what happens in our life is we don't think of God in that way of fear. When we think of fear, we just kind of think of like angry clowns or spiders or something like that. And so we get in our minds something very different about God. In fact, often we describe God as a superhero who beats up bad guys and a Santa who gives gifts to those on the nice list. Now that kind of sounds like a funny spider claws kind of description but it's true, right? We think of God as, hey, yeah, he defeated Goliath. He beat the bad guys. He beat Satan. And then if I'm good enough, and then I ask him for things when I'm on that good list, he might just give me things. Now, God does defeat the bad guys, and God does give us blessings, but it's not the, the complete story of God and his character, In fact, God is much bigger than that. And God is someone that not only should we hope for presence and and think of as a superhero, but God is someone who we must fear in our lives. In God's word, it talks about the fear of God, almost like a key that unlocks blessings for the rest of our lives. And King Solomon wrote a bunch of proverbs regarding fear. And so I'm going to read a couple of them to you today, and, and these Proverbs are principles for how we should live. And so Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And then Proverbs 10.27 says, Fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. And then Proverbs 14, 27, fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. Sounds good. I mean, there are blessings when we fear God. It's off-putting sometimes to talk about fear. A lot of times it's just much easier to talk about love and kindness, which are part of God's character, but he calls us to fear him. He calls us to have this healthy fear. And when we do so, there's these principles in our life that will bring about blessings when we fear God. But fearing God for blessings should not be the main motivator when it comes to fearing God. In fact, Moses talked about it in a psalm. Now, the psalms were generally written by a guy named David, and they're songs to God. But one psalm in particular was written by Moses, one of God's leaders from a long time ago. And he said this regarding fear in Psalm 90:11. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. So not only should we fear God because it gives blessings to us, but we should do it because he deserves our fear. He deserves us to understand him in that way. And Moses would know. You see, Moses was called by God to free a nation of slaves. And when God called Moses to do that, Moses was like, I can't do that. I don't have the ability. But God showed up in a big, powerful way with these miracles that came down from heaven. And then after the people were freed, Moses went up into a mountain and talked to God. And after talking to God and getting like the 10 commandments and, and rules for life and seeing God and his splendor and his glory, he said this to God's people. And now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the only one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes." So, fear. It both is what God deserves, and it also brings blessings to our lives. I wanted to start that way and, and kind of define why we're talking about this. Again, because fear isn't something that we mention often. But I'm saying that all because this is our take-home point. It's the one point that this whole message is all about. And it's this: knowing God leads to fearing God. And if this message series is all about how do we not only believe in God, but how do we have a personal relationship with God that defines our lives and shapes us into who God has created us to be, I believe, and God's word says this, that we must fear God. Now, for a long time, I thought, like, okay, you fear God in the Old Testament, which is before Jesus came, but now that Jesus has come, do we really need to do this? But the answer is yes. In the book of Hebrews, which is a letter that was written to God's people after Jesus came back from the dead, ascended into heaven, said this regarding fear. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. So to truly understand God and the love that he has for us, we must fear him. And I know that sounds weird. It sounds weird to me too. Because again, when I think of fear, I think of like that moment before I would attempt the first kiss with a girl. And I remember it distinctly because I was denied two times. One time someone gave me the cheek. One time someone just was like, no, 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 no. Uh, we're not at that point in our relationship. And both times it was like, it destroyed my heart. And so I had this fear that from then on, every time I'd go kiss for the first time to a point where I just started to ask, is it Okay. If I kiss you, which is weird, but again, that fear. Or I think of the fear of, like, bees. Bees, hornets, yellow jackets, wasps, any, all of them. I don't really know the difference between them, but I'm scared of all of them. The other day, I was at a park watching Ezra and Joel. My mom was there. My wife was there. And this bee just wouldn't leave me alone. It was following me everywhere. I was freaking out. So eventually, I just dropped the coffee that I was holding, and I just ran and I got away from that bee, and I probably look like a loon, but I don't really like bees. So again, when I think of fear, that's what comes into my mind. So, okay, I get the idea that we should fear God, that we must really fear God, But what does that mean? And so I've been researching, I've been reading, and specifically this book called The Unsaved Christian by a guy named Dean and Sarah. And it's really good. I mean, that title alone, The Unsaved Christian, is about this whole philosophy that some people know about God, but they don't really know God. And so he talks about fear in this book. He says this, and it's helped me to understand what we're talking about. A belief in God's holiness should lead to a realization that God should be feared that God must, that he ought to be feared if we understand his holiness. But holiness is another word that doesn't always make a lot of sense because we don't use it very often. I mean, we refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit as Holy and some of our worship songs sing holy because in God's word angels would sing holy to God. But what does it mean? So again, I'm on this trail. I'm trying to find out what fear means. How do we fear God? Now we we understand His holiness, then we can fear Him. But what is holiness? Well, I looked up in the dictionary because I wanted to know and I wanted to share it with you today. And the uh, Merriam-Webster dictionary says, "Holy is this exalted or worthy of complete devotion, as one perfect and goodness." and righteousness. It makes sense. You see, our God is set apart. He's perfect. He's the only. He's unique in that way. He's the only one that is perfect. He doesn't have any limitations that come from the flaws that us mere mortals have. He is unique in all of creation, as perfect, as holy, as set apart, as amazing. That is. Is our God. And understanding God's holiness compared to our brokenness doesn't just earn Him respect. As sometimes we we talk about fears meaning respect, but doesn't only earn Him respect. It brings into understanding our place in creation, it brings us ultimately to fear. It's kind of like when I played tenor saxophone in the marching band. In the marching band, I started playing uh, the clarinet and I actually liked the clarinet but I was the only dude in the clarinet section so I felt weird and I looked across the way and there was a bunch of guys playing saxophone. So I went home one day and was like, dad, gonna play saxophone problem is we didn't own a saxophone. So we borrowed a saxophone from the, the, the school and they had a tenor saxophone, which was much bigger than an alto. And I was awful at it. And I remember being the third chair, which means I was uh, the, in the third best section out of three people. So we had a first chair, one person, second chair, one person, me, the third chair. And there was days where I thought, man, I'm pretty cool. Like I, I've been practicing. I'm taking lessons from Mr. Armstrong. I think I'm, I'm getting better at tenor saxophone. I should be first chair not Anastasia. She should be third chair instead of me. And then I'd hear Anastasia play who was our first chair, and she was amazing. She like blew me away and I would be like, "Okay, I got to shut up and I got to be third chair." And then I'd actually even start thinking like, "Could they demote me because of how bad I am to fourth chair? Is that possible with only 3 people?" Because once I understand what good playing was, I understood where my place was and it induced some fear in me. And the same is true with God. Once we understand his holiness, we'll get our place in creation. It's kind of like the creation story. Adam and Eve, the very beginning of the time. When Adam and Eve were in the garden of Eden, everything was perfect and they were able to walk with the holy, perfect God. God told them, "Hey, you can eat from any tree in the garden except this one tree. And when they ate from that tree, They ran and they hid. And for a long time, I thought they hid because they felt bad about what they did. However, Adam and Eve didn't hide because they felt bad about the fruit. They hid because they understood who their sin was against. Sin meaning anything that's against God's will, his perfect, his pleasing will. They understood that their sin was against a perfect and holy God. And so they hid. It makes sense. When we do something against someone that we're not really scared about, we don't really care, but when we do something against someone that we know there's gonna be retribution, it induces fear. And there is retribution to sin because God is holy, he's perfect, and thus he hates sin. He hates everything that is evil and sin deserves punishment. There's a payment for sin because it is against God's will. In that book, The Unsaved Christian, Dean says this, the reason salvation is needed is because God is holy and he will not let sin go unpunished. Oftentimes what we do is we judge ourselves based on other people. It's kind of like that Santa analogy, that good list, naughty list. If we're on the good list, we feel pretty good. And generally, we think of ourselves on the good list. We look at people like that are murderers or in jail or something. We say, hey, that's an naughty list. I'm not on that list. I'm good. I mean, have you met my neighbor? I'm on the good list. And as long as we do that, we focus on ourselves and we take our eyes off the idea and the belief that we need saved. We forget about God and his holiness because we think we're good enough. We're good enough to, to do it on our own. But then when we start to understand that the measure of good isn't our neighbor, the measure of good is God and he is perfect, it makes sense that there's a punishment for sin. It makes sense that we need saving, that we need Jesus and the sacrifice that he has for us. It makes sense why we are called to fear God. Dean says this, and it's the last quote I'm going to use from his book today, but it is is a good book if you want to pick it up again. Unsaved Christian is what it's called. He says, when other people are the standard of goodness, you can always find people a little worse than yourself. But when God is the standard and I compare myself to him, the only response, the only response can be, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he gets that from Luke 18, 13. You see, God is the perfect and holy one. And we, we all fall short of his glorious, and perfect standard. No amount of doing good works is gonna make us right with God. It's only through the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus as payment for our sins that makes us right with with God. It's not like God knew, okay, eventually they're going to go to church enough that I should send my son. Eventually they're going to stop cussing at their, their parents and their enemies, so I'm definitely going to, going to let them okay. It's, it's not like there's a checklist that, that God said, you got to do these things and then I will sacrifice. He did it already because he is holy, because he is good, and because he loves us. That is our God. Not because we deserved it, but because of who He is. And when we understand that we're not deserving of God's love, his sacrifice ought to bring us to our knees. Because while we were still in opposition of God, while we were still his enemies, perfect died for imperfect. Holy died for unholy. Us people. Before we were born, before we did anything to deserve it, God died for us. And so only through understanding this holy God and how perfect he is and how he doesn't need us, but he chooses to love us, we'll finally understand through the holiness the love that God has for us. And knowing God loves us without understanding how holy he is, doesn't tell us the full story of his love. Knowing God loves us without understanding how holy he is, it just doesn't tell us the full story. But when we get his holiness, not only will we understand his love, and when we get how much he hates sin and still loves us, it doesn't only lead us to love, but it also leads us to fear. And it leads us to this point where our lives have this overflowing worship because we If we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are redeemed, we are saved, we are made new. And it also must lead us to this point where we live lives that reflect God. Because the fear of the Lord leads us to repentance. When we get how holy he is and the lengths that he went to defeat sin because he hates it, our lives will be drawn into his holiness and we will live holy like he is holy. We'll desire to live holy like he is holy. We won't fear God in this negative way. We'll fear God in this way of awe and this amazing, I gotta live the way that you're living because that's who you are. That's who your character is. will also lead to this, this way of not fearing the world. Oftentimes we can fear the world. It's easy to fear the world. We don't wanna be left out. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. There's people in front of us. We want them to to enjoy who we are. And so instead of fearing God, we fear the world oftentimes. However, we won't be able to fear the world when we fear God. We won't be because we'll understand how much bigger and grander and how majestic and amazing he is. The world doesn't, it pales in comparison to who God is. There's this cool story from the book of 2 Chronicles. And, and I've never really paid much attention to Second Chronicles, but I, I've read it before. I read it in high school, actually, and then I've read it again recently. And there's these amazing stories of God coming to human aid, to imperfect people's aid, really. His kings. And so this, it's this book about the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. And this one story I want to talk about right now is about a king of Judah. His name is King Jehoshaphat, which is... a a strange and weird name, and don't name your kid Jehoshaphat. It's just like putting a target on his back. But King Jehoshaphat was scared in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. He was scared because three armies, three of them, decided to come against God's people. And so he went to a prophet, and this prophet said, hey, don't worry about it. Like, give it to God. And this is King Jehoshaphat, and this is some of the response that he had. Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the same, worshiping the Lord. I love that. That's not where we thought the story was going to go, right? I love that example for our life, this idea that when armies were coming, what did they do? They bowed down and they worshiped. And for our lives, we can take this truth. When, When trouble comes, it's natural to be scared. It is. It's natural to be scared. But it's supernatural to worship through the fear. I'm not saying that three armies shouldn't rise up some kind of feeling in us, but it's a supernatural thing to say, I'm going to start worshiping before the battle is won because I know who my God is. And I know that even death can't separate me from him. That the world can't do anything if my soul belongs to God. So this is what happened after the people bowed down, they worshiped God. 2 Chronicles 20, 20 through 23. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Takeo. On the way, Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to fight. start fighting amongst themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. Okay, so let's rewind a second. So before this happened, what did they do? King Jehoshaphat put singers in front of the army? I mean, that's a bold move. That seems like a bad military strategy to put your singers in front and say, all right, why don't you lead us? Why don't you just lead us in some song as we're going to go to this battle? But they did it because they were worshiping a God that already has the victory. Are they worshiping a God that they knew is bigger than these three armies. And so what happened, God sent confusion amongst them and the enemies attacked each other and peace came in the land. And also, this is what's said in 2 Chronicles 20, 29 through 30. When all the surrounding kings heard that the Lord himself had fought against the enemies of Israel, the fear of God came over them. So Jehoshaphat's kingdom was at peace for his God had given him rest On every side. I love that. God won, and there was peace. Well, seven generations later, there would be another king. His name is King Hezekiah, slightly better name. I kind of like the name Hezekiah. So Hezekiah became king, and now the king of Assyria was going to come and fight him. So, again, just like the previous king, he went to a prophet, this time prophet Isaiah, and had some worries about what was going to happen. And this is what is said in 2 Chronicles 32. Be strong and courageous. This is the king encouraging his people. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria or his mighty army. For there is a power far greater on our side. He may have a great army, but they are merely men. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. You see, Hezekiah's words greatly encourage the people. Ah, that's so cool. Hezekiah got in front of the people and he said, hey, don't worry about anything. We have God on our side. And then Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah got down and they worshiped God and they pleaded with him for help. And what happened was God sent an angel to destroy the army. I mean, this is a big army. This was a confident big army that had taken out multiple other nations. They were so confident that they came to the walls of the city and they mocked the people and they mocked God. They even said, hey, like we have like 100,000 people. We have like 2,000 extra horses. Do you want them? Well, give them to you if you have enough people to ride on them. And they would mock the people in their own language so they'd understand. They said, hey, we're going we're to keep you in your walled city so long that you're going to be eating poop. Like that happened in God's word. They said dung, but we know what that means. And then they started mocking God saying, hey, we destroy these other nations with these wooden altars and, and these, these wooden carved gods, and, and they didn't do anything about it. So your God's not going to do anything. But our God will not be mocked. Our God is greater. So he destroyed their nation for the people. And again, peace reigned in the land. And God was victorious. So let us remember this. God doesn't need us to be victorious. He's victorious. He's a victorious God. On his own. You see, in our lives, God won a giant victory for us as well against sin and against death. God did it because he's holy, because he's good, because he loves us. He also did it because he's powerful and he is able to do what we couldn't do because we can't defeat sin on our own. We can't be good enough. It's just not possible for us. But God can. And God not only defeated the sin, Not only defeated death, but he also, this holy, perfect God, invites us into relationship with him. And God's holiness in our lives leads to fear, which leads to repentance. Again, if repentance is living this holy life, it's turning away from sin, turning towards God. And then God's power leads to fear, which leads to confidence. So the the holiness of God leads us to living like God, living holy lives And then God's power leads us to confidence. Because our God is amazing. He is omnipotent power. He is all places at all times. There is nothing that he can't accomplish. There is nothing that he can't do. That same prophet Isaiah that was there with King Hezekiah that was helping him and and calling out to God said this in Isaiah chapter eight. Do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. Our lives must look different than the world's lives because the world is scared of things of this world. If we truly give ourselves over to God, if we know him, then we'll fear him so much that the world won't fear us, that we won't quake in our boots to worry about getting a paycheck or if our girlfriend will stay with us or even for our life if we really fear God. We will look around at the work day or the school day or whatever day comes our way and we'll know that it's not insurmountable because we have our God with us. And I'm sharing this from a spot where I'm not sitting here saying, hey, I know all this, I've lived this out. I'm just saying, hey, look, look at me and then I feared God. Honestly, in my life, I've struggled with this greatly for a long time and still struggle with it right now. My life has better been defined instead of fear of God by fear of everything else. That's led to worry and doubt and anxiety in my life. I can actually look at different sections of my life and understand where I was in that, in that section by what I was afraid of. Whether it was in high school, afraid of being alone and not having friends or a girlfriend or whether it's getting out of high school and not knowing what my life was going to be like, not knowing what I was going to do with my whole entire life, or now it's as a dad worrying about my kids. What are they going to be like? Am I doing a good job? Am I making decisions that are negatively going to affect them? But when I do that, when I I just worry about my own things and I worry about the future, I'm neglecting the truth that God is bigger than all of that. I'm neglecting the control that God should have over my life, and I'm giving the control to the fear that's in my life. I'm forgetting the idea that God is aware of everything in my life. Same thing with you. God knows everything about your life, everything that has happened, everything that is happening, everything that will happen. He's aware of it. So lately, as I've been working on this, and honestly, I've been working on this for months. I've been praying through it, and every time in God's word, when I I hear the the fear of the word, I read it, I highlight it, I send it to my email, because I'm trying to work this out in my own life. There's been a song that has been helping me. It's it's kind of like an anthem in my life. It's a song called Know You Will, and it's by Hillsong United. And in, in this song, it's all about giving everything to God, having confidence in God because of his power, and really because we fear God. The second verse starts by saying, when the world's on fire, it's not like you don't have a plan. Then it says, when the earth gives way on this rock, your church will stand. And then it says this, nothing has ever once surprised you. Nothing has ever made you flinch. Nothing that the world throws at God surprises him. He's aware of it. Nothing scares him. Nothing makes him uncertain. We used to play this game growing up where we, like, we'd pretend to like punch our friends and then like, we'd see if they would flinch or whatever because they were afraid of getting punched. That doesn't happen with God. He's much more powerful. He's stable. He knows. He's not scared of the world. So when we give everything to him, we can live in that confidence because of his power. What I've been convicted of during this series, and this is something I need to apply into my own life, I need to stop letting fear control me because if we truly fear God, we won't live scared lives. If we truly fear God, we won't live scared lives. So I got to stop this idea of giving over to fear. We must stop. We ought to if we understand how to fear God. I mean, do we understand his power? Do you get it? How amazing he is. Do I understand that? That he is all places at all times. And not only is powerful, but he's also loving. That we can go into every battle that we face with complete confidence because of who he is. One of my favorite stories from Greek mythology, and I think some of the stories are cool, is, is the story of Achilles. Achilles is this soldier that was dipped into this magical river, the river Styx, everything but his ankle or whatever. And so he was, he was dipped into that, and then he came out, and then he could go into any battle, and he was unbeatable. Like everything, you couldn't get through his skin because he was so strong. The only weakness in his whole body was his ankle. And so they would, I'm sure they probably armored it up. But he went into battle because he thought he was going to be undefeated always with supreme confidence. And then everyone else that went into the battle with him had supreme confidence because they knew Achilles was on their side. And that's cool. But what's more cool is we have a God that has no weakness. He has no Achilles heel. Our God is all powerful all the time and he goes into battle for us. He goes into battle with us. We can have supreme confidence knowing that that is our God and that is why we should fear him because of this power that he has. Romans 8, 37 through 38 says this, no, despite all these things, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That holy and powerful God is on the side of those who love and fear him. And this awesome God that we're talking about that defeated enemy nations and defeated sin is just as awesome today. His awesomeness hasn't eroded in time. That is our God. That's as powerful as he is. And so as we know God, as we get to know him in this relationship, we'll understand him once we really fear him. What we'll do is we'll see his holiness, which will lead us to fear and it'll lead us to living like him. It'll lead us to repentance. And then we'll see his power and it'll lead us to confidence through that fear. And we can live this out in our lives. And if we wanna live this out this week, we can do it through this next step, which says, I will run every decision through the filter of God's holiness and power this week. Let's fear God so much that we're willing to sacrifice things of this world for him. They're willing to say, hey, I'm going to wake up earlier because I want to spend time with the holy, amazing God that sacrificed, his, his self, sacrificed Jesus for me. They were willing to stand up for what matters because it matters to God, that we're going to hate sin in the same way that God hates sin because he is holy and he is redeemed and he loves us. Years ago when I was in high school, my buddy Hunter made a decision that was based on the fear of God. I didn't really understand it until recently as I was, I was walking through this message. My buddy Hunter had this choice between going to a retreat for God and, and to a weekend of worshiping God, or to go to the sound check weekend for the musical that he was one of the leads in. And now everyone was saying, well, obviously, you're just not going to go to the retreat. You're just going to go to the musical, right? And I I thought the same thing, too. But he was praying, and he felt God was saying, you got to go. you got to go to this retreat. I want to talk to you at this retreat. And so finally, he made the decision. He said, hey, I I can't make sound check. And and the director said, well, if you don't make sound check, you're not going to be in the, the musical the next week, and your understudy will do it. And Hunter made the choice to not go. To the, to the musical, but instead to go to the retreat. And at this retreat, God spoke to him and called him into ministry. And I know that this moment was monumental in Hunter's life. And I look back and I say, wow, Hunter made this choice. He had this, this scope that he, he walked through this filter of holiness and power of God. And he said, this is more important in this moment. And so as we make decisions this week, let's make them through that filter of holiness and power. And as we end this message today, I thought the only way to really appropriately end it would be to share a verse from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by the wisest man to ever live, King Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs that we read at the very beginning of this message But those principles about fear. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about how King Solomon went through life and tried to find the real meaning of life through everything that the world has to offer. And he came to this conclusion. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey His commands, for this is everyone's duty. If we're going to live this life as it was designed to live, we must fear God, for He is holy, and He loves us, and He's powerful, and He fights for us. Today, if you're listening to this and you're saying, that sounds great, I I don't— have this relationship with God. I don't know him as you talked about, Well, today I wanna to tell you it's as simple as A, B, and C. God of the universe wants to know and he wants to, to be in this relationship with you. He does know you, he does love you, and he wants you to be in this relationship with him. A, B, C, here at New Life we say, A meanings admit, we admit that we're sinners and that we need a Savior. B, believe. We believe that Jesus is the only Son of God. He's, that God is the only God. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And then C, we confess. We confess our sins, and we confess our need for a Savior. So right now, what we're going to do is we're going to go to God in prayer. We're gonna ask him into our lives. If we don't know him as Lord and Savior, we're gonna enter into this relationship. If you know of God but don't know God right now, I want you to to pray. I would encourage you to do this because it's gonna make everything in life make more sense because you were created to know God. If you're in here today and you're listening and you're saying, I do know God, I would encourage you to pray for those that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior as we enter into this time of prayer. Why don't we pray? Dear God, I pray that right now, if there's anyone that is is listening, that's watching, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they will say this prayer alongside me, that they will make it their own in their words, in their heart, in, in their mind, they'll say this. Dear God, I believe you are the one true God that you sent your son to die for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord, which means owner. Be my savior. Enter me into your family and into relationship with you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you did that today, just know that angels are celebrating the fact that you gave your life over to Jesus. As we go about this life, there's gonna be battles that come our way. There's gonna be struggles, but we got to know that our God is to be feared because of how powerful and how holy he is. Let us live like that is our God, that our God is that mighty and that powerful. As we go out into this world, let's use that idea of holiness and power as the the filter for all of our decisions. Thank you so much for watching today. Thank you for, for tuning in, for being here with us. We hope to see you soon and have a great week.